Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with Dr. Natasha Wariku, assistant professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and author of the new book, Balancing Acts. Welcome to the EdCast. Hi, thanks for having me. So Dr. Wariku, tell us a little bit about your research and why you decided to write this book. So I um, have always had an interest in um, kind of immigration and education. My parents were immigrants to the United States, and I always thought that um, that had something to do with some of the kind of academic success that I um, that I that I had. And I also, um, before I did my doctorate, I was teaching at a high school for recently arrived immigrants in New York City, and so I became really interested in how um, culture affects um, their educational trajectories. And there are a lot of kind of lay theories out there about, you know, the stereotypical sort of Asian immigrants having a culture that leads them to educational success. Um, Some people have a kind of negative view of African-American students um, in urban areas um, and their culture. And I really felt like that some of this needed to be sort of understood a little bit better and a little put, put a little more nuance to what's really going on in schools, and particularly in multi-ethnic schools and schools that were that are quite diverse and in part that is um, because that's the kind of school that I was teaching in and I saw kind of really interesting cultural exchanges and things going on in s- that you wouldn't expect and on the other hand I grew up um, very much not in a multi-ethnic place um, where you know I was the only student of color in my graduating class and so I think both of those things in in different ways kind of influenced me to to write this book. So where did you decide to focus your research when putting this book together? So um, I, you know, I I was very interested in inequality and fundamentally I think I'm interested in how inequality affects um, our lives and in particular how inequality affects children's lives and and children's opportunities and I think that's why I was um, working in education even before I um, embarked on this research and became um, a researcher. And um, I, and I realized, you know, I think I started out my doctoral studies very much as a structuralist, seeing kind of how structure influences inequality. But I realized that um, there are a lot of misconceptions about culture. And so I thought, well, let me um, let me go in and really understand what's going on um, in terms of culture um, in, t- in order to perhaps correct some of the misunderstandings about culture and, and in um, disadvantaged schools. So the schools that you actually looked at, the research is fundamentally based in London and New York City. That's right. Big differences between those two schools. Yeah. Yeah, big differences, but a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I think that um, they, I chose London because I wanted a, um, another city that is very multi-ethnic um, and a city that's not dominated by a particular kind of immigrant group that sort of shapes the culture of, of that city. So if you think of a place like Miami, where Cuban migration really kind of dominates the way people think about race um, and immigration there, um, London and New York are, are, are similar in those ways. Um, and I wanted to sort of inter- really interrogate this um, this notion of what some people call an oppositional culture, and this idea that you know certain children of immigrants will adopt a kind of American-influenced um, oppositional stance towards their school, and so. Um, 
and this is this has been thought to be the influence of kind of urban African American peers and an opposition culture that they supposedly embody and that their their um, children of immigrant peers pick up on. And I that didn't really resonate with my own experiences in schools. I um, when I was teaching my observations, um, I didn't uh, and I had a hunch that um, this wasn't really what's going on in terms of the youth cultures that kids weren't didn't have these sort of oppositional attitudes towards um, towards education and that wasn't driving the cultural choices that they were making their behaviors and so I thought I would step out of the United States into a context in which um, the racial dynamics are obviously very different there's um, obviously no African-American history although there are um, a large number of Afro-Caribbeans um, and South Asians in the UK that are that come from the Commonwealth um, and so to try to understand well if this if we see um, Let's see how this looks in a context in which you can't say that there is that same kind of influence, and you don't have the same kind of, um, you know, residential segregation in the UK that you do in the United States as well. So that was the sort of key difference that I wanted to interrogate in the study. Now, if I'm a teacher and I say I want you to leave your culture outside the classroom and just focus on academics, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, so I think that's kind of the conventional wisdom that youth culture it has a bad influence, um, and if we can just, you know, push it out the door and get kids not to sort of realize that that needs to be outside of school, then 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 they'll be okay. I think that's that's really misguided because youth culture really is you know the title of my book is balancing acts because what kids are trying to do is they're trying to balance success in their um, in their peer culture and their and as well as in the kind of adult or school culture and those are not kind of oppositional by design. And that's the key take home point here. Then they're not oppositional by design and really, even if you wanted to, it's really impossible to push that youth culture out the door. And if the more that we can sort of get those to converge and really, um, and not be in conflict because they don't need to be, um, the, the, the more successful children are going to be. So I'll just give you an example. Um, you know, I think dress codes are always sort of a big um, source of contention between students and uh, children and adults, really. It's not just teachers, it's um, parents as well. And, you know, when I, when I talk to kids about the meaning of, uh, you know, I ask them about their style, how would you describe your style, what does it mean to you? And when I ask them what it means to them, the, the number one answer that I got was actually that actually um, people misunderstand what my style says about who I am. And so I think that's very telling because they, um, you know, and they would talk about things like, um, uh, you know, I wear my pants baggy, but not too baggy because I don't want to be seen as, you know, someone who's in a gang. Or so they're really trying to, you know, signal that they're good kids, but also that they're cool and that they, you know, they want to have status among their peers and peer status is really important to them. And so I think the more that educators can sort of recognize this, the more that um, the more successful children will be. And this might mean, you know, uh, uh, bringing in their youth culture into the classroom and connecting with it and, you know, working with children from where they are in order to get them to somewhere else. Now, in your research, did you see a, a, a sort of strong integration of, say, I know you did a lot of research on hip-hop culture. Yeah. Are they using rap music and hip-hop to teach? Uh, you mean are the teachers using... Are they te yeah, like, so let's say to, yeah. to learn math, you yeah. know, make it into a song that resonates with them. Is that yeah. part of the, the culture understanding? You know, I, I, I think there are a lot of kind of interesting curricula out there. In, in the schools that I was in, I didn't see those kinds of lessons in particular. Um, I think there could be, and I think there are, people are developing those kinds of um, lessons. Um, and I think it's really about a school culture that really values that and sees that, you know, the, and, and is not afraid of it. 
it and is not afraid of sort of engaging kids' youth culture and trying to understand it a little bit better. I think part of it is having a teaching staff that is familiar with the culture that the children are coming from as well and, you know, and so that there is this, this, this way in which that that's sort of seen as normal and okay. Um, so, you know, and I did see, um, you know, little snippets of it, like in, in the London school, much to my surprise one day, there was a, an MC competition when the boys were sort of getting up and, and rapping. And um, so, you know, it's, so, the, and, uh, and one of their music performances, there was a, um, they, some of the children had learned to play um, uh, the a steel drum, and a lot, you know, a lot of the families are from the Caribbean. So there's, you know, the, I, I, w I wouldn't say that there's there, there's none of that sort of integration. I just th I think it could be a lot more. Um, in, and this is not particular to these schools. This is just in general. I guess uh, one one of the things that we always ask our, our EdCast participants, I'm giving you an opportunity to drink your coffee too now, <laughs> is what, what was one of the hardest parts about putting together a book or research at this level across the, across the ocean, all of the data and research that you had to put together? And what were some of the biggest challenges and surprises? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the biggest challenge is really figuring out what to focus on because there's so much going on and there's so much going on in a particular school, in a particular classroom, even with a particular child. And then you throw in two countries and two particular schools and just trying to figure out what, is, what are the most important things that I want to focus on and look at and really um, speak to. Um, obviously, there is this sort of nitty gritty of the field work and getting into, you know, sort of getting your way into the system. You know, New York City I was much more familiar with on the one hand because I had been a teacher there. Um, I'm from the United States. Um, and on the, and so I had to learn the whole cultural context. In fact, when I started my research in London, I didn't, frankly, I didn't understand a lot of the children because they had a kind of, you know, North London, I mean, the British accent was hard enough for me and the North London accent was even harder. Um, and uh, so, so, so there was a lot of kind of cultural knowledge that I needed to build up. Um, but uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, I actually got in. Um, it was much. I I've kind of found, identified a school much more quickly in in the UK and the US. I had to. Um, there were a lot many a lot more kind of permissions that I had to seek, and so um, sort of a mix a mix. Yeah. This is your first book, correct? This is my first. How book, exciting yes. is this for you? It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, when the um, when the when the book arrived, I sort of quickly looked at it and started flipping through, and then I realized that I've I've seen it all before. <laughs> no, no, no misprints, hopefully. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, who, what type of person would be interested in a book like this, and who who are you hoping this book will to appeal to? Educators, sociologists, uh, reformers. Yeah, so I'm really, you know, I, I, I really uh, hope that the book is written, and I think that the book is written in a way that will appeal to both. Um, say, sociologists of education and immigration, but also educators um, and, you know, teachers, principals, administrators who are really kind of thinking about culture and culture in the classroom and how that um, influences the children in their own school. So, you know, while this book is about two particular schools, I think there are take-home points that are applicable to youth culture, really, you know, even outside of these big cities um, as well. And I think, you know, so I've tried to sort of infuse the kind of uh, the intellectual questions and the intellectual kind of dilemmas that I'm trying to answer um, about culture and youth culture um, and kind of immigration, uh, the way that we think about immigration and culture. Um, but I've also really tried to make it accessible and readable for people who are not interested in the theory as well. So what's next for you, Dr. Waraku? Ah, so I'm... Um, I want to know your sequel. 
<laughs> so I'm I'm working on a, um, a a project. My big the biggest project I'm working on right now is a study of um, uh, uh, higher education. So elite college students and their understandings of diversity and multiculturalism. So in by elite I mean students attending elite universities. And I really came to this as you know I, I sort of started out saying that I'm fundamentally interested in inequality and really um, reducing inequality and educational inequality and. Um, you know, this th my my book study was very much a study about students who are disadvantaged and how culture sort of is plays a role in their lives. And so I wanted to now look at um, advantage and how you know we we normally think about uh, inequality through those who uh, the have-nots. But what about the people who um, ha the haves and the privileges that they have and how they and how they think about those kind of privileges and advantages that they have um, in terms of their own life and and who, you know, who they're going to college with and who's not there and, and all of that. So, so that is hopefully going to be the next book. Okay, well, we'll have to look forward to that and schedule a new interview for when that one comes Absolutely. out. But for <laughs> now, your book is coming out in February. Where might people be able to purchase this? Uh, I'm, it's it's coming out through University of California Press. Um, it's available on Amazon now. I just checked, um, and it's, so I'm sure you can get it through the press, Amazon, or um, I'm assuming other booksellers as well. Wonderful. Well, I encourage everyone to get it. It's got great reviews, and we're very grateful for Dr. Natasha Warico being on the EdCast today. Thank you very much for having me. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.